You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. We're talking with Dr. Marvin Fear about case presentations and case acceptance. Dr. Fear is a full-time practicing clinician and served as a dental officer in the U.S. Navy. He is a highly respected lecturer in the U.S. and internationally on multiple topics, including aesthetic and restorative dentistry. We're very happy to have Dr. Fear with us. You've probably seen him on the cover of many magazines. I've seen him recently on Dentistry Today. And if he's not on the main cover, he's got a little side box there with his picture. Um, he writes a lot of articles. He lectures everywhere. And he has great insight on all topics of dentistry. We're very happy and honored to have him with us. Dr. Fear, welcome to Dental Talk. It's a pleasure to be with you, Phil. I'm really excited about doing this with you. Yeah, so podcasts are becoming more and more popular. And um, just to tell our viewers, if you want to listen to these podcasts on your phones, you can do that on VivaLearning.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Right now, Viva podcasts are on um, Stitcher for Android, and we're on iTunes for those that are iOS. And all you need to do is go to those two apps on iTunes and Stitcher and type in Viva Space Learning, and you'll find all of our podcasts. So um, we're, again, very happy to have Dr. Fear with us today. My first question is, what are some of the reasons patients might not accept your recommendations during a case presentation? Well, that reminds me of a book I once read called The Paradox of Choice, written by Professor Barry Schwartz of Swarthmore College. Uh, he talks about whether or not people like lots of choices or fewer choices, and very often docs prepare treatment plans, multiple treatment plans, and then they ask uh, the patient to pick one, or what, do you, what would they prefer? It's kind of like in a Chinese restaurant, maybe picking from column A and column B. And Professor Schwartz studies human behavior, and what he's done is he's looked at how people buy things. And it's fascinating. When I ask that of audiences that I lecture to, you get a mixed reaction. Many people like lots of choices, and many people like fewer choices. The point is that it's very confusing when we have lots of choices. And so even though I may have several treatment plans in mind for a patient, what I'm going to do before I present it is really focus in and prepare myself based on the information I, gotten, I had gotten from an interview with them to really understand what their goals were. And that's the treatment plan that I'm going to really talk about as my primary treatment plan and not necessarily not necessarily offer additional treatment plans at that point. Mm -hmm. I will go into a treatment plan other than the primary one that I'm thinking of if the patient has major objections or they can't fit it into their life budget or whatever it is. That's done at the visit when you're making your primary presentation or, is, or do you have it, them come back for a different treatment plan? Well, in some cases, it might be done at that same treatment plan case presentation visit. In other cases, if it's really complicated and I have to retool and think some things, I will tell them, listen, you know, we talked about this. I see that this isn't going to work for you. I have a few other ideas. Let's get together again. We'll have another conversation and we'll see what we can come up with that's going to satisfy your goals. Mm -hmm. No, that makes total sense. So do you outline and present number and sequence of visits and fees? Uh, yes, the answer is I do that. However, I can't really outline the number of visits until I know what treatment plan we're going with for that patient. So if the treatment plan that I consider the one of choice is accepted by that patient at that first conversation that we have, mm -hmm. then I'm going to outline the visits. But I don't do it ahead of time because I'm going through exercise of uh, I'm going to be expending time, energy uh, to prepare everything on paper. And if they say no for some reason, what have I done? I've spent a lot of time that was unnecessary. So I don't outline the number of visits 
completely. I just have an idea in my head, and then I'll tell them we're going to set this up and on a piece of paper, and we'll know how many visits approximately it will take. Mm-hmm. And then we also talk about the cost as well. Now, For example, if somebody yeah, go ahead. just go ahead. To, just to, just as an example, if somebody needs to replace missing teeth, if a fixed bridge is the first choice or implants are the first choice, those are one or two treatment plans that we could do together at the case presentation. If they can't do or won't do that, then we have to talk about a removable partial. I might have that prepared or I might not at that given uh, at that given visit. I see. So in most cases, do patients, and this is just a curveball question, do most patients accept the treatment plan right then and there or do they go back home and say, you know, they sell you, they say to you at the office visit, doc, I'd love to do this stuff, but I got to talk it over with my husband or wife. And then they let you know well, later. Be assured that I've heard that. And I think that it's important for anybody listening to the podcast to know that in, involved treatment plants are not necessarily accepted when a new patient comes into the office and you have that treatment plan conversation at the case presentation visit. And the reason is because sometimes it takes a while for that patient to get comfortable with the doctor and the office. There are other reasons that a patient might not be able to do that. Sometimes it's an emotional reason. Right. And I'll tell you a quick story in a minute. Then it could be financial, and very often it is financial, and it also may be the timing in their life. The emotional example, here's one I want to tell you about, and that is that a woman came in and she was referred by someone because she knew we did a lot of veneers for people and changed their smile in addition to regular dentistry. And she said to me, you know, my daughter's getting married. Right there are the key words. My daughter's getting married, she said, and I'm embarrassed about my smile. Hmm. And she just told me what was so critical. I said, how do you think it would feel if you had a smile that you could really be happy with? She said, wonderful. Now, that was not the case presentation, but basically she gave me what I needed to know for the case presentation. And when she came back after a complete diagnosis uh, using x-rays, study models, oral cancer screening, periodontal probing, all of that and some diagnostic models, we talked about what she wanted. She wanted a really pretty smile. And the fact is that her husband came into the room with her and we talked together and he turned to her and he said, honey, he said, you've wanted this for 20 some odd years. We're going to do this. Mm-hmm. The point being that she wanted it, but the timing wasn't right in her life. Right. And timing is also something very important. And I can tell you just a very quick story about another gentleman who we, he, we treated him about 25 years ago. We did some bonding for him on his front teeth. And we did a whole treatment plan that involved a lot of other stuff related to his malposed teeth and um, changing the color of his teeth, which he really wanted to do. And so all he decided to do at that point was bonding his two front teeth. He disappeared from my practice for over 20 years. Mm. Then one day he calls and my office manager said, so-and-so called. I said, why is it coming in? She said, I don't know. He said something about he has a crown that he wants to change. He came in and the first thing I said to him is, it's great to see you. And I said, Al, I have to ask you, why are you here? His reply was, I trust you. Mm -hmm. I said, is it okay if I ask you a couple more questions? He said, sure. I said, what happened in all these years? He said, well, he said, I had to go someplace where my insurance was taken. He said, money was always an issue because the kids were growing up, they were going to college and all the things that we talked about way back, he said, couldn't do them. I said, I understand. He said, now, he said, I have some money because my wife was ill, she died, I sold my house and I'm gonna be moving to Florida. So in his life, all of a sudden, everything had changed and the same treatment plan pretty much that we talked about 20 some odd years before, he was now accepting. Hmm. Go figure. 
How did his dentition hold up over those 20 years when he needed the work 20 years before? Well, he had seen other people. And what he did was he did a little bit of restorative dentistry tooth, here, tooth a little dentistry. patchwork. Yeah. Yes, tooth, tooth dentistry rather than comprehensive treatment. Right. That's... Then he came back, and, and let me tell you, he, we did everything that we talked about. He moved to Florida, and about three years later, he came back on a visit. He said, can I come in and see you? I want to show you. He came in. Other than needing a good thorough cleaning, he was in good shape. Yeah, but it didn't fit in his life, and it didn't ha he didn't have the money for it before that. Right. Happy ending 20 years later. It's better than nothing. Yeah, I, right? actually, when I, when I do a lecture, I present his case, and I put it, uh, the title of it is Patient on a 20-Year Recall. Wow. That's amazing. So how much do we have to educate our patients during a case presentation? Ah, educate our patients. You know, that's something that was, has been brainwashed into our brains from dental school on because we have that obligation. Our patients need to really understand what's going on, but we could also try to over-educate our patients. And therein lies the problem in terms of case presentation. We have to give them the basic facts, but we don't want to get lost in the weeds, so to speak, because if we get lost in dental issues that we would discuss with a colleague, that's not going to help the patient make a decision on whether to do something. Right. Very so, often, yeah, what is we get stuck. Tell us about over-educating over the patient, because I know they have a well, lot of patient education uh, companies out there that show videos and all sorts of stuff, which I thought would, was useful, but maybe does that... Well, it may, it may be useful. The question is, how much information does that patient want? And one of the questions that I ask of a patient in an intake interview is, are you the kind of person that likes to know a lot about what we're doing, or are you the kind of person that kind of just wants a little bit, just the flavor of what we're doing? And that helps me, when I do a case presentation, to know how to present to that patient. No, I still give them information, but it's that's a great point. That, that's actually a great point, Dr. Fear, because yeah. my thought is that a, a dentist would have a certain way of doing case presentations, and they're not really uh, changing their ways depending on the patient. And so some patients are, com are coming in and they're getting a ton of information right in front of them. They're getting all the details about every procedure, and that dentist does that all the time. They think the best thing to do is to tell the patient everything but you're saying it's not all the time. That's over-educating, and the fact is that when people make a decision to buy a service or product, because that decision on some level is always made emotionally, when you start to over-educate them, you're involving the left side of their brain, which is information gathering, it's logical, it's all of that stuff, and it's not addressing the information that they really need, which has to do with their emotions. Um, there's tremendous work done on this. In fact, 2003, the cover of Forbes magazine had a picture of a patient in an MRI scanner. The article was about, was there a buy button in the patient's brain, in somebody's oh brain? Oh that's amazing. And multinational corporations are spending millions of dollars to determine better ways of marketing to people in general for the products that they sell. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, anytime we do a case presentation, we are selling dentistry because if a patient is not swollen, bleeding, or in pain, I propose that every other part of dentistry is elective. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. Um, what percentage of patients generally are looking for excessive amounts of information about the treatment you're about to perform, you know, compared, yes. to, the, to, compared to those that would like, you know what, I don't really want to know too much about this. Uh, I, I don't really, I'm not really happy to be at a dental office. If you could get my teeth to look like this, the less I know, the less I feel, the happier I am. What, what's, the, what's the proportions on that? Okay, you're, you're asking me what percentage, and I cannot quantify it, but I can tell you qualitatively that much less, fewer, much fewer people 
want to know all the details than a dentist expects. It's just that we're trained to educate and we tend to get into telling the patient everything about what we're doing. Um, I had a, a gentleman I worked for for two years, a very famous dentist in Manhattan, and I'll never forget as a young dentist, I was watching him work and he excavated a tooth and the person had a, dent, a pulp exposure. And here's what he did. He simply took his excavator, put it on the bracket table, and he turned to the patient face to face with a serious look on his face. And he said, you have an open nerve. And that was it. That was all he gave them. And you're going to need root canal, et cetera. But he didn't start going into what happened, how did it happen, the cavity was so big, blah, blah, blah. He didn't. Right. right. That's Very simple. As a retired endodontist, that's uh, interesting to hear that. You have an open nerve. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. But um, he simplified it, and he didn't want to get into the details. And he said, this is the next step is endo if you want to save this tooth. Yeah, and think about this. I mean, a person comes in, let's say, with a broken cusp, and they might need a crown. And you get into the fact that you have a broken you have a broken cusp here. We use dental language too often also. We want to use lay language. Right. And, you know, we could try to fix it, but if we put a composite in here, it's not going to necessarily hold. And I recommend a crown. And they start, docs go on and on and on very often. And it's just taking a patient out of where they need to be to make a decision. So um, tell us a little bit about how a dentist prepares for a case presentation. I know you covered this in a, a little bit in a previous podcast. I, I think the, the key word here is prepare because you really have to do your homework. It's kind of like you're having a test the next day, a case presentation. You could almost think of as a test and you have to study for the test. So you prepare. So here's what I do. I study all of the notes that I have from my interview with the patient. I review my examination and x-ray findings, and I make notes on a worksheet for myself. And when I'm sitting with the patient, I outline their main concern, or as we dentists learned, we called it a chief complaint. I want to know what their main concern is, and that's going to be the beginning of that case presentation. Of course, if somebody referred them, I'll, re I'll go back and say, you know, you were referred by so-and-so. What a nice person he or she is, and thanks for we always thank them for that. Um, so I've done... My homework, I'm doing, I start the case presentation with the main concern. And then I also include some personal note that they may have told me, which I've written down someplace, like their daughter's getting married, their son just had a baby. It's a personal thing first, and then we get to the dentistry. Mm -hmm. Then I describe my examination findings in the easiest possible terms for them to understand, and I do it briefly. I also tell them what might happen if they don't take care of some of the things that we discovered. And then I'll talk about my recommendations. And if there are options, I say there might be options, but let's talk about you know, what you're thinking right now. And I shut my mouth because shutting our mouth lets us listen. But dentists talk during that case presentation so much and don't get feedback from a patient. Yeah. And what was so important about what you just said, Dr. Fear, is that by preparing the case presentation in advance, you're allowing yourself to connect to the patient before you really get into the nuts and bolts of the treatment plan, you're connecting them with their chief complaint, who referred them, uh, personal stuff that they've talked to you about that you've made notes on. So you do this preparation and you walk into the room and you're, you're right off from the onset, you're trying to connect with the patient and that, that's going to help you. Absolutely. Right. And it also tells that patient that I listen to them mm -hmm. and that's building, building trust. And one, one other thing I want to make... Uh, clear here. It's very important about this is a very important point. Um, very often doctors will explain something and then they say to the patient, do you understand? I think there's a much better way of asking that question. And if I say to that patient, 
um, here's what what I'm talking about. I said, have I made everything clear? Right. Now, right. why? Why is that different? It's because yeah. the onus of the communication being successful is on me, not the patient. I don't want them to feel that they might feel stupid because I didn't. they didn't get it. It'll be my focus. I didn't explain it well. So I try that. I try to use that expression. Um, have I made everything clear? No, and that's that's brilliant because, first of all, if they don't understand, they're less likely to admit that they don't of understand. Course, of and course. And then they're, they're going to be walking out of there not really knowing what's going on, and, and the likelihood of a case acceptance is going to go down. Not Absolutely. A, yeah, so that's that's very important. Very good point. Um, on our way to wrap up this podcast, and we wish we had time to keep you on forever because it's this is fantastic information, what can someone do to improve his or her case acceptance rate? And that's a big question. It sure is. Um, they have to they have to study. You have to read different kinds of books about what make people say yes to buying a product or a service. Um, yeah, it's sales. And let's be honest, again, in the absence of pain, swelling or bleeding, we have to motivate our patients, which is really giving them a case presentation that they can decide to say yes to. Um, they can listen to CDs. Doctors can get CDs. They can take courses on sales techniques. But I would recommend never, ever using a high pressure technique, rather a consultative kind of approach with the patient. They have to prepare for that visit with the patient. Uh, there are two articles that I published in a series in Dentistry Today. I think the year was about 2003. And the title was titles were Patient-Centered Treatment Planning, mm -hmm. Part 1 and Part 2. And they outline this whole concept of appealing to the emotional part of a patient. And there are also dental coaching programs. And the one that I took, and then I took a master's program after that, that's no longer in existence. So I would say, look into different coaching programs and talk to your colleagues and find out what they've done. I would also suggest never take a cookbook program that's going to give you one way of doing things because patients are not one kind of patient. They're all mm -hmm. very different. And there's another book, I would recommend a book to everyone called The Goal. And this book is one that's used in business schools when people are going for masters of business, MBAs. Uh, it's called The Goal. And it's really an easy read. It's a story, but it really talks about the success of business and what is the most important goal of any business. I ask that in my audiences. And, you know, sheepishly, people will raise their hand and say, well, it's to make money. Well, the book outlines this. The concept should be that the goal of every business, every dental practice should be ongoing improvement. And with ongoing improvement is ongoing improvement in case presentation and helping patients to accept dentistry that they need, which is a hard thing, mm -hmm. hard thing to do. It's called yeah. The Goal, right. and it's written by e Eli Goldratt. Um, yep. and, and the name of the book is The Goal. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you could recommend some books to our listeners. But, I mean, in general, any business, you know, the goal is people will say to make money. Like anything else, the money will come when you operate your business in an ethical and proper way, when you engage with your customers, and in this case, the patient, the success of that will bring revenue to the practice. Of course. And the fact is that in order to have the practice open to help more people, you have to have the revenue coming in. Well, this is again, uh, this was a great podcast, Dr. Fear. We really enjoyed having your insight into these topics. Uh, you certainly know a lot about case acceptance and um, we hope to have you on future web, uh, webinars. Actually, you do some webinars for Viva Learning, have you not? 
I have not yet, and there's something about a webinar that still bothers me a little bit. I may get past it. I might not. I don't know. Right. And that is that I like having a human audience in front of me, and I don't like the interaction that occurs that way. Right. So that's yeah. just a personal thing, but I'm yeah. working on it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe someday soon. Yeah, you, you'll overcome that, but you really don't have an audience here live because this is recorded, but I guess I'm your audience for this one, right? You are. Yeah, Absolutely. You and we're interacting. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, again, Dr. Fear, a pleasure having you. You're a, a great speaker um, and you're a leader in the industry and a good friend. We've been friends for many years. It's always been a pleasure being your friend and I really appreciate your friendship and having you on this program. Thank you so much. Phil, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, and I would say also if any of your listeners are interested in my presenting to a local or state meeting or study club they're involved with, they can drop me an email at smilerockland at optimum.net, and Phil, I very much look forward to our next conversation. Okay, sure. So to find you, do you have a website, Dr. Fear, that they can look, if they just Google you, will they find that? Uh, email? Of course. The website is www.smilerockland at smilerockland.com. Okay, so it's smilerockland.com. And again, if you want to if you want to Google Dr. Fear, you'll find him. It's Marvin, and last name is Fear. F I E R. Just Google him, and um, you practice in New York. Pomona, New York, which is a suburb of Manhattan. Right. Okay. Great. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Great, Phil. Thank you.